You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Um, just a real quick note, today probably going to be short again. Um, our family, unfortunately, does have to attend a funeral. Um, I contemplated just not doing the podcast today, but I figure since I already took so much time off, um, and yesterday was the first day back, I probably shouldn't do that because that would just be kind of weird. So, um, anyways, now you're all caught up on that. I suppose we should start off with, um, the big news of the day, which... You know, I don't know. I probably shouldn't elaborate because people are going to get mad at me. Um, he's our third string quarterback, so I'm just saying. I think for it to be actual big news, it would be, you know, like your number one wide receiver going to a new team. That's big news. But I guess in the off season, we'll just roll with it and say it's it's big news. It's more it's more um, maybe upsetting news than big news. Because Kurt is a good dude, and he endeared himself to the Packers and the fans, and um, so it's kind of sad. You know, he's a likable guy. But I think the the surprise factor really just comes from, well, two ends. Number one, probably underestimating some of the other players on the roster, and also overestimating the Packers' like or, you know, desire for Kurt Bankert. You know, like, even even my first thought was, of all the guys that you can cut, if, if it's simply a matter of trying to make a roster move, right, we're just trying to add somebody, we need some space, why would he be the guy? You know, we've got Eli Wolf, we've got uh, that Alizé Mack, there's Danny Etling, who is our new third-string quarterback. Why not release him? And so that's kind of what leads me to believe that this isn't simply a roster move. Now, even if it is that tells you that he was at the bottom of the heap. But um, I also think that there is an element of, there's constant turnover on the Packers roster. Some guys leave, new guys come in. And by doing that, we've had a lot of success. You bring in guys and one in every 10, 15, 20, 25, whatever, ends up being a contributor, a player, a starter, a star even. And I think part of that process is once you get to the point where you realize that it's just not gonna work, that um, there's nowhere else to go, and that this wasn't a diamond in the rough. It You need to be able to move on. And again, if this is simply a matter of getting rid of a player so that we could add a player, I think Danny Etling would at least make more sense as our fourth-string quarterback. And, and it doesn't necessarily even mean that they think Etling is better, but I think what it does mean is they haven't closed the door yet. They haven't 100% come to the conclusion that there's just nothing left here. There's no more growth. There's no more potential. There's no more upward mobility here. There's nothing else that we personally can do. Maybe somewhere else, under somebody else's tutelage, in a different scheme, in a different situation, he can thrive, but it's just not really going to work here. And we want to be able to give someone else a shot and be able to see what they can do. And that guy right now is Danny. And again, remember what we're talking about is our third-string quarterback. So, I mean, quarterback is a major position but it's still subject to the same rules as running back and everything else where, again, you're shuffling the bottom of the roster. You bring them in, you try them out, 
and you build them up as best as you can. And when there's no more building to be done, you start the process over again. That's just my read of it. I don't know, but I, I you know, again, any other conclusion that you can come to, I think, has some questions that need to be answered. And oversimplifying it doesn't really, um, doesn't really answer any of those questions. And again, even if we do want to simplify it, even if we do want to bring it down to, well, there's somebody they got their eye on they want to bring in. Maybe there's another quarterback that they really like that they want to bring in, so what are we going to do? It still makes the most sense to me that the Packers decided to bring up this new person and release Kurt Bankert because, again, they know he's just not the guy. Which makes sense, right? I, they were probably 95% sure of that when they brought him in. It's really hard to hit on, on these guys that are just sitting out in the scrap heap, especially at a position like quarterback. So anyways, um, I understand the, the grief, the sadness, the despair, but I also know that it's very common for football fans and especially Packer fans to fall in love with that third string, fourth string quarterback, and so I'm sure there will be another. Maybe it's Danny Etling, maybe it's not. They'll bring in somebody, he'll have a good preseason or a funny Twitter or something, and... and will fall in love all over again. Anyways, I did want to continue on with some of the things I mentioned yesterday I didn't quite finish. I talked about um, comments yesterday, comments that were being made, etc., etc. One of the topics that I didn't quite cover is the promising reports out of camp. I know it's relatively useless information. There are guys that have the ability to produce in camp and not necessarily translate to the field and all that stuff. I get it. Sometimes it's just empty words, but at the end of the day, that is what you want. I mean, when you do these camps, this is what the coaches want to see. They want to see progress. They want to see guys getting better. They want to see guys taking steps. They want to know that they're understanding the concepts and everything to a higher degree, the techniques. And so really, it's just a matter of are the coaches slash players being honest when they say it, or is it just empty words? I don't know. But good news is good news, and we're going to report it. One of those guys is TJ Slayton. There are a couple different comments about Slayton, and again, one of the things I don't like, and granted it is their job, I'm not saying that they shouldn't, but one of the things I don't like is when um, they ask a simple question like, how is TJ Slayton doing? And the answer is, he's doing good. You know, <laughs> just Granted, they're, they're fishing for something a little deeper, but... Um, that doesn't that doesn't help at all, and I think the first quote maybe kind of falls under that category, but um, here here is a quote from Mr. Matt Lafleur. He says, "TJ has done a nice job. I think his work capacity alone has definitely increased. I think that's a learning curve for a lot of young players. Uh, is that they don't necessarily is they don't necessarily what they're getting into when they first get into this league. All right, I don't think that was typed properly. I don't know. What it's supposed to say is they don't know what they're getting into." So it's, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's a compliment, and it is a specific compliment. It's not just he's doing good. It's a specific thing that he has improved on. But I kind of feel like a lot of coaches have things locked and loaded for each guy that you can say. You know, uh, his conditioning looks great. Work capacity, which I've never heard before, but there you go. His work capacity has increased. Maybe for a nose tackle, that makes sense. But then you got Mr. Jerry Montgomery. He had a quote, and he says, I think he can be a dominant run player when he's doing the right things. That's what I'm going to hold him accountable for. Now, again, Jerry doesn't mess around. Maybe sometimes you catch him on a good day and he's just being polite. I don't know. But um, I believe it was last year, and I believe it was Slayton. Actually, I know it was last year, but I believe it was Slayton. 
the media members seemed to be trying and begging and pleading for him to give some good news about Slayton, and he just wouldn't do it. But then he would heap praise on other guys. The bottom line is Jerry likes who he likes. Guys who are ready are ready. Guys that are not are not, and he's not going to lie about it. And he's not going to cookie cutter, sugar coat, sugar cookie coat, anything. Sugar cookie coat. I'm going to invent that. And, and look, there, there are a lot of qualifiers in that statement. I think he can when he's doing the right things, right? I think, meaning maybe I'm completely wrong and he just can't do it at all, can be, not will be. In other words, it's possible, but that's when he's doing the right things. So again, that's multiple qualifiers to get to the point where he's a good player. So there's still some pretty heavy wordplay in there, which also, if you read that backwards, would kind of imply that he's clearly not where he needs to be yet, but he's, he's saying that maybe... If he gets to his ceiling, he can be a dominant run defender, which, if you really think about it, that, let me read that again, because it sounds super positive, but when you kind of deconstruct it, it kind of sounds negative. I think he can be a dominant run player when he's doing the right things. That's what I'm going to hold him accountable for, right? You read it with the right inflection, sounds like he's just an absolute killer out there, but it's like, I don't know, maybe someday, if he really tries hard, he can stop the run pretty good. I mean dominant. But I think maybe the best quote was Matt LaFleur later on saying, I think he's light years ahead of where he was a year ago. Because ultimately that's the most important thing. And you know when he says that, what he's talking about is understanding. That's what matters. You can be big, you can be fast, you can be strong, but if you don't know what you're doing, you're not going to play. And you're not going to produce. Because, you know, football is, you know, I think fans and even maybe some players and possibly some coaches even, GMs, I don't know, we focus on the physical attributes. We look at how big TJ Slayton is. And you think that dude's going to be a monster. You look at how fast Devontae Wyatt is. You look at how fast and tall Christian Watson is. And we use that as a launching off point to convince ourselves that they're going to be really good football players. But ultimately, good football player is a different thing. It's its own category. And that's what the coaches are trying to make these guys is good football players. And that's what we want to find out from Slayton. Is Slayton a good football player? Right? We already know Devontae Wyatt is maybe the most athletically freaky person on this team, except maybe Christian Watson. But the biggest question, really the only question, is will they, can they be really good football players? That's it. So again, I think the third quote from Matt LaFleur is probably the best quote in my mind. I think he's light years ahead of where he was a year ago. That's what's most important. The weight's not going anywhere. The strength isn't going anywhere. If he can really understand what he's supposed to do, that stuff will just fall in line. I think on the completely disregard side of the spectrum, there is also a quote from Devondre Campbell about Quay Walker. Now, this isn't to say Quay isn't having a good camp. It sounds like he is. Sounds like you can see the speed, you can see the intelligence, you can see the playmaking ability. But one of the things that kind of got a little bit of steam, the Green Bay Packers posted a video of Quay Walker. We'll get into the contents of that in a minute because that'll be relevant, but Devondre Campbell responded to this tweet from the Green Bay Packers and said, I try to help and give as much advice as I can, even though he doesn't really need it. He's already a baller. Very smart young man with a great future ahead of him. Now, again, that's going to get a lot of attention, especially from Packer fans, because Devondre Campbell, who was one of the top linebackers in the league last year, just said that he's already a baller, he's extremely smart, and he's going to have a great career. I think maybe the biggest issue I have with this, aside from the fact that it's probably something you'd want to take with a grain of salt, anyways, just a fellow player complimenting another player. Players are probably worse than coaches are about this. Players are so pro-players. 
unless there's some kind of a spat or a beef or something, they're almost always going to be super positive. But the biggest thing is, here's what the Packers tweeted out. This is a quote from Quay Walker. says, I watch him a whole lot, just trying to learn as much as I can from him. Quay Walker on what he's picked up from Devondre Campbell in practice. In other words, Quay Walker complimented Devondre. Devondre returned the favor. That's it. So, and again, the reason I bring it up is because when you look at the article headlines and everything else, Quay Walker's already a baller. He's very smart and all that. It's like, that. that's... That's a really big report, right? That matters a whole lot. The question is, what is the source of this information, right? I mean, if, if the best thing probably would be if this was just a report from the reporters on the sideline watching the games, making observations, not necessarily biased ones. I, just, I mean, like, you know, here's the good, here's the bad. And by the way, Quay Walker, dude, is a baller and is extremely smart. And then you got coaches backing that up. But again, I and it doesn't mean he's not but it sounds like just a pretty generic compliment, and so I'm not going to read too much into it yet. But again, there are other good reports about Quay Walker that are coming out. Those matter. By the way, the other good thing about Quay Walker is that he's sort of the opposite of some of these other guys. You know, what I had mentioned about the Christian Watsons and everything else. The problem that people have with Quay Walker is that he's not, I mean, it's not that he's not athletic, because he is. He's extremely athletic, but he doesn't really pop out in terms of like, dude, that guy's a freak. I mean, his RAS was in the nines, but it's all just good. It's all just checking boxes. He's got good height. You know, four five two is really fast for a linebacker, but it's not like some of these absolute freak shows out there that are running four fours or, you know, four threes. I don't know if there's probably some inside linebackers doing that. I don't know. And not only that, but there were other linebackers that other guys said they liked him more. So the, the point is, again, All these little things that we like as fans, Quay didn't necessarily check those boxes, but the reason that I like the Quay pick is because the Packers picked him because they think he's a great football player that's going to be a great fit for their scheme, period. There are faster guys, there are taller guys, there are stronger guys, but they singled him out. You know, when you you look at Devontae Wyatt, what did they single him out based on? I mean, come on. (laughs) It's pretty obvious, isn't it? He's an athletic freak with a ceiling that basically just doesn't exist and so you pull the trigger on a guy like that but Quay isn't that guy and so in a weird way the fact that not as many people liked him and he doesn't check as many athletic boxes and or really any of these giant boxes that everybody wants checked kind of gives me a little bit of comfort because the Packers know all that they're not stupid it's not like they're unaware so I don't know it's it's more of a personal thing I'm not trying to tell you that this is a surefire um way to gauge how good a player is going to be. I'm just saying that it gives me that level of of comfort. And then finally, a positive report, of course, is Rashawn Gary. Um, Not necessarily because of anything he did on the field. You know, obviously we're not at the stage when guys are going to be getting sacks or anything like that or, or tackling running backs or doing any kind of fun stuff like that. But it's really just the fact that he's there. Apparently there is some kind of a, um, stipulation in these workout bonuses that you only have to be there a certain number of days to get your bonus. Once you've hit those number of days, you get your money and basically it doesn't really matter anymore. So a lot of the guys kind of, just kind of, it's an understood thing that you can kind of just bail. And most of them did, but Rashawn Gary did not. And so for the final week of OTAs, they were kind of running a skeleton crew. But then you got Rashawn Gary with a few different quotes here. Here's some of the things that he had to say. Everything that we do as Green Bay, as a Green Bay Packer, you got to realize we wear this helmet for the players that were before us. It's a historical organization, and I want the players to know that because I had to grow respect and do my history on Green Bay. 
feel like the more history and the more you dig into it, the more that you have respect for this team and organization, the harder that you're going to play for them. He's a, he goes on to say, we're here to win a championship. We've been there three years in a row, playoffs, we're right there. There's something that we're missing, so we've got to come together. That's what I'm focused on, pushing everybody to make sure uh, they're doing their 111th. Just the small things, making sure you're going back and doing stuff. We can, uh, we can come back and be better as a defense and be better as a team. So look, the, the, the point is, he's trying to get better himself, but also lead by example. He understands already that he is a star. He's one of the leaders of this defense. He's one of the best players on this team. He's there for the right reasons. He understands what the benefit of being there is, but he also understands to show the young guys, like, look, just because you can leave doesn't mean you should. We're here for a purpose, and that purpose is to win championships, and I'm going to help this team win championships by being here, not by booking it out of here. And I'm, I'm not trying to make any comments about the guys that left. Whatever. I'm just saying that I admire what Rashawn did. If nothing else for a leadership, you know, standpoint. To still be there, to keep up the tempo, to keep up the intensity. I'm sure it's easier to push around, you know, the, the last remaining couple defensive tackles on the third, fourth string than it is to push around Rashawn Gary in practice. It's hard to maintain his level of intensity. But that's Rashawn. We know how he is. That's why we love him. Anyways, I'm going to take a break. We'll come back, talk about a couple more things. And like I said, i got to get out of here. So, um... We will take a break, and I will be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So I want to quickly comment on this article here. doesn't really... There's really no point in going over this because it's going to be kind of similar rankings across the board. And just looking at rankings in general is kind of silly, but... PFF put out an article, 2022 NFL Receiving Core Rankings, Cincinnati Bengals take the number one spot, Eagles make the top five. Um, As expected, the Packers are at the bottom of this list. Uh, They actually rank 31st. Here's here's the biggest thing, though. Unlike some of these teams, although this is an element for everybody, but especially for the Green Bay Packers, trying to rank so many unknowns is kind of silly. Now, granted, if you're putting together a list, you have to put the Packers somewhere, so I'm, I, I, I get it. But, for example, if we look at number 30, the Houston Texans, they're looking at Brandon Cooks, Nico Collins, John Mechie. We kind of have some idea of what this unit is. I can look at Brandon Cooks. I can see what he's done. I can look at past performances, um, future projections, look at um, the, 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 the quarterback dynamic. You can look at Nico Collins and see how bad he is. John Mechie is a rookie, 
and so that's that's sort of the unknown but you kinda get an idea of what the picture is largely especially considering you know who the number one is going to be you got a decent idea it's kind of a number two competition but you also know that um, again Nico Collins is somewhat bad at football so if he wins the job then this is just a horrific unit if he loses the job then you know I guess it's really only a question of John Mechie and then even then you have such a limited um, ability to project upwards you know there's such a low ceiling they've got the Baltimore Ravens at 29 um, again you know the whole crew Rashad Bateman is the clear number one um, they lost Hollywood but you got Devin Duvernay, Tylen Wallace, James Proche. And again, you, you can kind of feel out the situation. You know the quarterback dynamic. You understand the wide receivers. You can try to project upwards or downwards. But it's just so different for the Packers because there's so many massive unknowns. You, we know who Alan Lazard is. We have no idea what to expect from Sammy Watkins because he's new. We don't really know what to expect from Randall Cobb. He's kind of a known commodity, but it's a little bit unknown. We don't know anything about Amari. We don't know anything about Christian Watson. We don't know anything about Samori Toure. We don't know anything of, of, about um, Dobbs. And so, yeah, if, if you're simply looking at a, a group and saying who has the best receivers as far as available information, the Packers are, are very, very low on that list, no question. But the only caveat that I want to put in here is there's a difference between saying that is a bad unit and saying we don't know that it's going to be good. We have no information or reason to believe necessarily that it's going to be a good unit. But we don't know. And obviously the, the most important reason why I wanted to bring up this article is because at number 32 is the Chicago Bears. And again, this is largely known commodities, right? Darnell Mooney is their top guy. He had a 74.9 PFF grade. He's fine. Outside of that, you've got Byron Pringle, Tajay Sharp, Valus Jones, and Equinemius St. Brown. With the exception of Valus Jones, who really nobody, I don't even think Bears fans, expect him to be a dynamic wide receiver weapon, at this point, you largely have known commodities, which include a decent number one and um, a list of complete cast-offs. Maybe that's a little unfair for Tajay Sharp, but it's just, there's nothing here. I mean, your number two is Byron Pringle. So the, the, the major difference is that there's no real reason for optimism. There isn't a Christian Watson on this team. There also isn't, well, I guess technically there is a Matt LaFleur offense, but it's not run by Matt LaFleur. There also is not an Aaron Rodgers. You have a Justin Fields. You don't have the Packers offensive line. You have the Bears offensive line, which means less time for your less capable quarterback to find the right guy at the right time, throw an accurate ball, and get any kind of production from this unit whatsoever. So, again, minor caveat. It's it's not unfair to put the Packers at 31 just because you can't give credit to people that haven't done anything, but I want to mention that important caveat. There's a difference between looking at a group and saying, we know they're bad, and looking at a group and going, I have no idea what's going to happen. doesn't look great, but we'll see. Final thing I wanted to bring up... Um, and again, it's just it's something that I was reading around in, seeing articles, and, and I've, I've heard fans talk about it and whatnot. And that is to have low expectations for our wide receivers because of what we've seen in the past. Right? Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling as a rookie, 581 yards, and that's about as good as it gets in Rodgers' tenure. Most of our rookies, including some of our best receivers over the last several years, you're talking three, 400 yards. 
The problem I have with that generally is that it's just, it's kind of silly. Now maybe you can try to draw some kind of a parallel, but the only thing that's consistent from, you know, 2010, 2009, 2008, whatever, and today is Aaron Rodgers. So the, the only real parallel you could draw to say that the same thing that's going to keep them down back there and the rookies down here is that Aaron Rodgers doesn't like throwing to rookies, therefore. Which maybe is a little bit fair, but I think that's pushing it a little bit too far if you have a guy that has the potential for 1,200 yards, but Rodgers is going to suppress that. I don't think that's the case. And really, if you look around the rest of the NFL, it's not as though the Packers are unique in this, right? If you look at since, just go back to, let's say, 2008, the number of teams that have had 1,000-yard rookie receivers is, I believe, 10. There's 11 total rookies. Two of them played for Cincinnati, though, A.J. Green and Jamar Chase. So 10 teams. 10 teams over the course of, what, 14 years? 11 years, whatever, 10 years, 50 years, I don't, I don't know, can't think. But the problem is, if you look at a lot of these guys, the funny thing is, if you applied that rule to these guys, they wouldn't have reached their potential. So for example, Justin Jefferson, Minnesota Vikings, 2020. If you were to use the same logic that a lot of Packer fans like to use for the Packers, in, you know, your ability to project what you can expect from Justin Jefferson, you're looking at it saying, look, I know you want this 1,000-yard receiver and all that, but if you look at our previous rookies, Stephon Diggs, 720 yards, four touchdowns. Percy Harvin, 790 yards, six touchdowns. The odds that this guy's going to come in and produce at a 1,000-yard season is unbelievably likely, or uh, unbelievably unlikely. 1,400 yards he got. 1,400 yards and seven touchdowns. So, what good is it to look back and say we've got two great receivers and as rookies they didn't produce so we should temper our expectations it didn't it didn't project anything it doesn't tell you anything if you look at 2019 AJ Brown 1051 yards again if you try to apply the same logic to that you look back and say Kenny Britt in 2009 had 701 yards prior to that was Kendall Wright 2012 626 yards Jalen Waddell in Miami in 2021 had 1,015 yards. Prior to that was Jarvis Landry, who had 758 yards. Again, if Jarvis Landry can't even crack 1,000, what are the odds that Waddell is going to? Jalen, we know Jarvis Landry is a great wide receiver. He only mustered 758 and five touchdowns. So the point is it just doesn't really work. It's, it's fine in terms of general context. If if people start to feel like it's just an automatic that he's going to have 800 yards or whatever, 900, 1,000, 1,200, it's fair to bring up the history to be able to show how incredible that would be, to be able to look at it and say, look, that sounds nice, but that's only happened 11 times since 2008. And if you look at the Packers history, it's like we got one guy at 800 and a bunch of guys at like 400. So that would be incredibly unprecedented. But the point is, don't take it to the other extreme either, to where you say, can't happen because it hasn't happened. That just doesn't happen for us, which is this sort of fatalistic thing that some Packer fans fall into. We can't win the Super Bowl because it's just not in the cards because we haven't since, you know, 2011. I saw the last few years when we go to the Super Bowl and lose, or to the playoffs and lose, therefore that's what we're just always going to have. Packers rookies never get a lot of yards, therefore we won't get a lot of yards. That's just not 
really the right way to look at it. So again, context is good, and I would agree with you if, if we're betting money, you, you, safe money is clearly under a thousand. In fact, if you wanted to put money on under eight hundred, you're probably you're probably going to be okay. But just don't get into this fatalistic thing, and and don't say, you know, I'm going to bring up the past and prove that that tell it doesn't tell you anything. This is a completely different player on a completely different team. Yes, I mean team, different team, different players, different year, different scenario, different everything, different Aaron Rodgers, different Matt Lafleur, different slight changes in the offense, massive changes for you know the personnel. I mean, one of the obvious things would be look at the situation a lot of our guys come into. Many of them are not early round picks. Some of them were, but also they didn't come in and were had the potential to be number ones. They, you know, again, Jordy and, and Randall were buried. They were like number fours and fives when they came onto this team. How in the world are you going to get a thousand yards when you got, you know, James Jones and Donald Driver, Greg Jennings? You don't. That's the answer. Same with Devontae. You got Randall and Jordy, and Devontae wasn't even great as a rookie, which is kind of another point worth mentioning, which I know it doesn't really matter, and all we care about is is this year right now, but, you know, how a player produces doesn't necessarily tell you how good they're going to be, as evidenced by the fact of Randall Cobb, Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams. But another guy that I found interesting when I looked at this list if you look at rookies just outside of the top 1,000 group, the second guy down. So Kelvin Benjamin had 1,008 yards. After that, you've got Willie Sneed at 984. You know who's next on the list? Sammy Watkins as a rookie, 982 yards and six touchdowns with the Buffalo Bills. So, and I, you know, maybe he's going to be great, but even if guys get 900 yards or 1,000 yards, it doesn't mean that they're going to be great football players. So that that is also a secondary or completely different question. How much production can we get as a rookie, and how good is their career going to be? Seems fairly obvious, but a lot of these things tend to get conflated a lot. Amari's already the worst football player in the history of the world, for example. But anyways, as I said, short episode. Um, I do have to get going. Everybody's up and we got to get ready and whatnot. So um, you guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.